93.7 Express FM. Hello and welcome to another coronavirus special podcast. On the show this week, we spoke to leader of Portsmouth City Council, Gerald Vernon Jackson, about the slight rise in cases in Portsmouth. We also got your lockdown stories on the show a little bit later on. We hear from Tina Jacobs from the Additional Needs Supermarket that has been set up in wake of the coronavirus pandemic. We'll be catching up with her again a little bit later on in the show. And also, we will preview Haven and Waterlooville's playoff game on Saturday with our local sport expert, Henry Deacon. Now, let's kick off with our first guest of the show, leader of Portsmouth City Council, Gerald Vernon-Jackson. Good evening, Robbie, and how are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you, Gerald. Uh, let's kick off, shall we? We'll, I'd like to come on to face masks in a second, but let's kick yeah. off with uh, with that slight, that number that, that I read out at the start, that slight rise in cases in Portsmouth. Are you concerned? Uh, uh, Portsmouth continues to be uh, one of the very, very safest places in the country. So the infection rate we've got is 3.3 people per 100,000 population. So that means we've got seven people who've been tested positive in the entire city, um, which is pretty good. Um, much better than the Southampton uh, on 4.7 and the East Midlands are on 15.8. So we are very, very safe here. I'm, I'm, I'm really surprised, but I'm really pleased that we remain out of 150 councils that do social services in the country. Um, our rates of infection put us at 140 which is uh, we're one of the 10 safest places in the country. That is great, but we don't want to get carried away, do we? No, because absolutely. we need to focus on ourselves, and it's still, it's still a rise. It's absolutely, but I do think we, we deserve to pat ourselves on the back a bit. I think people in Portsmouth have done really, really well um, to be able to, to stick to the rules, to be able to make sure that they are social distancing, and that's clearly had a major effect. And do you, do you think that there's going to be, I remember you saying a, a, a little while ago that you predicted a second wave. Do you think that, is this early, and do you think it's early indications? No. Um, I think if we're going to get a second wave, it'll probably be in the autumn or the winter. Um, uh, hopefully by then there's a working vaccine that will mean that that, become, that becomes uh, an irrelevance because we've got a medical intervention that works. Okay, uh, and of course, in the last uh, last week or so, it's been um, councils have been given more power to to induce these local lockdowns if needs be. Are you are you happy with that responsibility? Yes, I'm, I'm, I think it's probably fairly obvious that if if there is a problem in Portsmouth, it's better that people in Portsmouth find the solution and get it sorted as opposed to relying on people in London who have no idea where Portsmouth is and might well mix it up with Plymouth. And what, what kind of uh, what kind, what kind of plans are in place? How does that work? Do you, does that mean that you put together the the procedures, or the the procedures being have you been told those? You're just yeah. Able so we, to... we so we scenario test various things, um, and then work through what we need to do um, to put in place to make sure that uh, the system survives and and works, even if there is a big second wave. So we've done all of that work. So. We have an idea of what might happen in different scenarios with different groups of people becoming ill. Uh, we've looked at uh, other things that we need to put in place now. So, for instance, we've moved, we've, we did have a temporary mortuary for, for Hampshire, Portsmouth, Southampton, at Southampton Airport. That's now gone um, because the airport's gradually up and running again. Uh, and so we're having to look for a new location, and, and we've had to get... Um, sort of purpose-built uh, mobile mortuaries. 
just in case things are very bad, because if they are, and they overwhelm the mortuaries in the hospitals in the county, then that things get really quite bad quite fast. So yeah. we're doing all of that work. Okay, is that that's I was quite surprised to hear you talk about the sort of the overwhelming of the of sort of the hospitals or or, or those yeah, those if places. Only, if there's a second wave, it could be worse than the first wave. And we've got to make sure that we're prepared. And we've done the planning. The planning with the hospitals worked really well this time uh, with, the, with the first wave. No hospitals got overwhelmed. If you look around the rest of the world, mm. hospitals in Italy and New York were com- completely overwhelmed with the numbers. Uh, that didn't happen in the UK, even though we've got one of the worst outbreaks in the whole of the world. So doing that scenario planning is, is the right thing to do to make sure that we avoid problems that come with not doing the planning and just being hit uh, with a big rising of infections. Sure. Okay, let's um let's let's move on to face masks then. Of course, they become mandatory in shops, supermarkets from uh, this Friday. How much are you fearing for businesses in Portsmouth now that are going to have to try and potentially potentially going to have to try and confront <coughs> customers and stop customers coming in that that don't abide? I think people, most people will be fine. Um, they, people didn't have to queue before they went into shops before. They didn't have to do hand gel before they went into shops before. So, uh, and people have coped with all of that, and that's, that's worked really, really well. So uh, it might take a little bit of getting used to, but I think on the whole people will be, uh, will be fine. Um, I think it's just important that everybody is seen to do it, that there aren't exceptions. Um, and we don't get photographs of the Prime Minister um, uh, doing a Trump and giving advice and then not following it. Do you think that, what advice would you, do you give to, to the, the actual people of Portsmouth about, because we, I, I remember we spoke to Steve Pitt about this last week and how we can't, you know, it's not something that you can really police, it's too, you know, too big a thing. So how, how can the general public of Portsmouth, how can they help out apart from wearing their face masks? But if, they, if you see people that aren't, etc., can they do anything? Yeah, and, and, and people do. So most crime is policed not by the police, but by the rest of society. Um, we spot things, we, we tell people that's not acceptable, uh, and we, we keep, keep to the rules, or, or the law, as it's called. Um, and this will have to be the same. Uh, so if people aren't, then I'm sure people in the stores will, will, will say to them that they, they can't shop and they need to obey the rules. Uh, I expect some shops will have face masks available to give to people. Um, but that's... We just have to keep to those rules. And if we, if we see people breaking them, we, we have to do something. So I, I walked down the prom on, on Sunday, and there were two lads cycling down the prom. You're not allowed to cycle down the prom, so I told them to um, cycle on the cycle lane. Um, I got an earful for it, but, but, but they went and moved off into the cycle lane. Oh, so they, um, did, they did do it? Yeah. So, but, but, but that's what we have to do. We have to make sure that we're prepared to say to people, look, you know what the rules are. For everybody's good, you've got to follow the rules. And do, do you, just, just quickly, do you, do you uh, agree with face masks? Yes, of course. Um, whenever I go to Tesco's, I always wear a face mask. Um, in brackets, 
Other shops are available, I think we have to say, don't we? <laughs> you um, don't, have, don't worry, we're not the BBC. Oh, that's all right. Um, well, my worry is, um, I've just been walking through town and come back and, and went into the local co-op to buy myself a pint of milk. And because it was just walking past and I hadn't taken a face mask with me, that's when I think it's going to be more difficult. It's the impulse thing, oh, mm. blast, I don't have one. If you're doing a planned weekly shop, I think it's one of the things you can easily plan in before before you set out. Let's move on to um, care homes, if if you don't mind, Gerald. Um, it feels it's strange. We had this in the news. It's been in the news the last sort of day or so that, of course, the advice is sort of changing for um, for how loved ones can see can see uh, their family members in, in care homes. How, we haven't touched on them for a while, and there's this, which is which I've, I feel quite emba- embarrassed and sad that we haven't. How safe are care homes now, and and how are the ones in Portsmouth? Well, there are a whole mixture of care homes in Portsmouth. Um, some of them owned by the council. We've got um, two biggish care homes that mm. we run. Um, uh, but most of them are private or from the voluntary and charitable sector. Um, they're, as with all different organisations or companies, they're a mixture. Um, they've worked ludicrously hard uh, over the pandemic. Um, they've been given... I really think a really terrible time by the government uh, and either by mistake or on purpose the decision was taken that it they didn't want the virus in hospitals uh, and therefore they'd export it to nursing homes and that's that's been quite difficult for a lot of people because we've had huge numbers of people dying in in nursing homes across the country. Now in Portsmouth, the death rate is below what we'd normally expect for this time of year. But that might well be because so many people who are very elderly in nursing homes died earlier in the year from coronavirus. Is that also because people haven't been able to come in and see them? No, I think, well, I think that's been very, very distressing for families, particularly people who've got dementia. Um, uh, people who who walk around and for whom trying to explain to them you can't go out, you have to not 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 go up to people. It just doesn't doesn't get through because people have got severe dementia. So I think it's it has been very distressing for both the families and for 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 their loved ones not to see each other. Luckily there are ways in which people can keep in touch nowadays like on people's phones um and, and do video calls. Mm. Oh, but it's not the same, and I think it's caused real distress. I was talking to uh, a lady whose husband had been in QA for four and a half weeks and hadn't been allowed to see him once, and and, and how difficult that was. Um, so I think, on the whole, care homes have done a great job. I think, though, they've been left carrying the can because the government's rules were hospitals could chuck out people who they thought had COVID but we hadn't bothered testing uh, and care homes had three hours to get them into a bed um, uh, even if they had symptoms or if they might well get symptoms so I, I think if there are any lessons to be learned it's that the care sector's got to be treated much much better and can't be sacrificed just for the sake of, of, of the NHS Okay, Gerald thank you very much as always okay. for your Look time 
We'll leave it there for now. Leader of Ports okay. City Council, Gerald, thank you. Bye. Getting you home with Aqua Cars, the driving force in Portsmouth. Pre-book your stress-free journey home on our app, available in the App Store and Google Play. But right now, we want to get some of your lockdown stories. We've been hearing uh, we've been hearing from you for the last few weeks about how your life has changed, how your job has changed, uh, and we're going to continue to do that now. And let's kick off with the director of Portsmouth Distillery. We've got Vince on the line. Hi, Vince. Yeah, hi. Yeah, thanks for having me. Nice to have you on. Uh, talk to us about what you've been up to the last few months with uh, the Portsmouth Distillery, because it's been um, it's been quite the the business pivot, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, it has indeed. Um, well, I might as well start from the beginning. Best yeah. place, isn't it? Um, yeah. W- well, when it all kicked off, of course, we um, all had a very sage look at each other and went, "Oh, okay, hospitality. Uh, this is going to get knocked harder than most other industries during this uh, pandemic." Um, and we we didn't really know what to do. I guess um, uh, there was a lot of uh, the big, big name distilleries very quickly thrown together hand sanitizer um and of course people were asking us about hand sanitizer now we're we're only um a company that's been going for 18 months as most of your listeners will know um still trying to become established uh, we didn't have the funds behind us or the ability to just start making hand sanitizer and getting it out there um so we adopted the um the same route as many many other companies and and took the the government sort of furlough scheme um, and handouts and hunkered down for what we hoped would be a a short period of time and, you know, we'd ride it through and, and see everybody at the, at the other side, so to speak. At the same time, whilst sort of, you know, talking to and trying to discover whether there might be um, the opportunity to produce hand sanitizer out there. Anyway, about three weeks into the whole um sorry affair we were we were given the opportunity to um start a contract supplying govia thameslink with hand sanitizer now that contract was big enough for us to be able to start and also be able to produce hand sanitizer on the side so to speak for the local distribution um and we came back to work all four of us and uh hit the hand sanitizer scene in a big way producing um quite a lot actually thousands and thousands of liters um bottling it all by hand um and sending it out um big ibcs big containers for for the govia job but smaller bottles um and five liter bottles etc for for local um trade schools hospitals businesses um etc etc and 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 that's effectively what replaced our um didn't completely replace it but helped to bridge the gap for uh the trade we were having when people were coming on tours etc so uh that that filled a really good hole um so to speak and the other thing that we did of course was um we increased our um online presence if you like because uh, everyone being at home started to buy spirits thank goodness <laughs> while sitting at home and sending for them so we've been on free delivery uh to to the area um, for the entire period, so that's worked really well for us. It's been, it, it must have, it must have been. God, I was just going to say, it must have been a what a mad few months that must have been. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and you know, who who would have thought that when we put this idea together back in crikey September seventeen, <laughs> uh, that that you know, in 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 March, April, May, and beyond twenty twenty, we'd be dealing in hand sanitizer by the thousands of liters. 
you know, it's a very odd world. Um, but as I said, it, it's come to it's come to our aid, um, and actually in a really sort of strange kind of way, um, I think we've increased our visibility in the local area because um, certainly Ditch, our sales director, has been out and about in our van a lot more, so people have seen it. Um, people have done a, you know, the local uh, community have supported us greatly by buying online a safe for free delivery, um, and. Um, yeah, and, and the hand sanitizer itself. I mean, we had a we, we we've had a couple of um, uh, big supplies to the uh, Portsmouth City Council, uh, you know. Um, so I guess there's a couple of thousand people in Portsmouth City Council. If they didn't know about Portsmouth Distillery before COVID nineteen, do now because they've all got a personal hundred mil bottle of Portsmouth Distillery hand sanitizer. So in in a in a kind of weird perverse sort of way, uh, yeah, we've increased our our um, our viability in the city and around, which is which has been a good thing. And how much is it? How much learning has it? Did it take to to learn to you know make and produce this hand sanitizer? Because although you might have had the sort of uh, the equipment and sort of you know a lot of the ingredients are already there, of course. But in terms of actually making it, that must be that must have been a completely new thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely a new thing. Um, we uh, we're not. Uh, obviously nobody knew how to do it but we're using the um world health organization's um formulation um which is basically uh a standard one using just um four ingredients which is um uh, 96% ethanol glycerol hydrogen peroxide and water now the reason you'll find that um that that distilleries have taken this job on it's not because you have to have a still and you have to distill the spirit so i'm afraid if i've just burst some people's bubbles (laughs) i apologize for that um it's because we're we're already licensed and used to handling um high volumes of um of of high alcohol content liquids um and hmrc were very quick to um throw out new licenses so that people like us um, would be able to make the hand sanitizer because you've got to denature the the alcohol which we buy in um, so that it can't be consumed. Uh, otherwise, of course, there's excise, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you have to get an extra license for that, which is what we did. Um, and yeah, we 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 learned how to do it following the formula. Had a little bit of a sort of a play like you do, and then uh, yeah, we've just been throwing it together ever since. I'd love to be able to sit here and say it's really hard. Uh, and I'm sure there will be some distilleries out there that are thinking, oh, I can't believe you just said that. Uh, but actually, it really isn't. It's just a case of mixing the correct quantity of those four ingredients to make the hand sanitizer. But what I, what I suppose you've got anyway is that, you, you know, you've got the scaled production at your at your service. Yeah. You're used to making stuff in bulk and everything. And and um, what's the sort of, how much of a, of a lifeline has that been? I know you mentioned that you've been doing stuff online uh, anyway, but how much of a lifeline has it been that you've been able to you literally kill two birds, one stone here, you know, with, with being able to, you know, help everyone and also and, and also hopefully sort of financially help yourself throughout this time? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, but we very, very quickly um, adopted the uh, the attitude towards it of, you know, this is this is something which will help us keep our heads above water through this period. Uh, we did not see it as um, some, um, uh, what should we say, producers and wholesalers of hand sanitizer have seen it as a an opportunity to make a lot of money. Um, we we literally have been selling our hand sanitizer at just above cost, and um, we've done that. Um, as much because of the altruistic reasons as for, you know, survival, financial survival. 
Um, what the way you know our pricing of our hand sanitizer has kept us above water and it's done well for us throughout the period but what it's also allowed us to do is make it much more accessible to far more people because you know when when you're selling a 500 milliliter uh, so half a liter of hand sanitizer for seven pounds you know that's significantly cheaper than the next cheapest bottle uh, and we did that deliberately um so that people would buy it, and and you know, and we're 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 making a tiny bit on that, but it's all about making sure that it's accessible to the to the people, you know. And our five liter is only twenty seven pounds sixty. Five liters, you know. I think the closest I've seen to that on the internet is about forty nine fifty five pounds, something like that. Um, so you know, it, it's all about doing our bit as well as maintaining uh, the chance to keep our head above water so that we're here at the end of it to continue producing fantastic spirits for the people of Portsmouth and the wider community of the, of the country. Uh, have you enjoyed it? Yeah, I have, I think. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I suppose, if I'm absolutely honest, when you're, you're given an order for 2,500 milliliter bottles of uh, hand sanitizer, all of which have to be filled by hand, um, screw tops on by hand and labels administered by hand yeah I'd be lying if I said every minute I've been sitting there with a big wide grin on my face uh, but but yeah hey it's it's kept us going um, the production of the spirits has carried on as well because as I said we've had to to keep up with the online demand um, so by and large um, apart from you know the obvious constraints that we've all had to live under in terms of the wider world uh, my coming in and out of work every day and, and getting on with stuff hasn't changed a great deal. So, yeah, I haven't had a problem with the, 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 the period at all. And it's been such wonderful weather, um, you know. And down here at Fort Cumberland, um, you know, we can really make the most of that weather because it's quite well sheltered and, it's, yeah. Mm. So all in all, no complaints here. And, and what happens now then? Do you, do you keep doing it until you until it's not needed or do you, are you starting to go back to the normal the normal production or what? Well, our, our normal production is, is uh, scaling up a little bit. Um, we still continue to make um, rum to lay down to age here in the fort, um, which obviously we have to do every month anyway, so that we've got uh, supply to reach the demand um, in a couple of years' time when it's ready, when it's aged. Um, but we will continue to make hand sanitizer whilst there is a, a need for it, really, um, because, it's as I said, it really isn't that difficult. Um, and And whilst we can... Um, I, I guess the hardest part of it has been the supply chain. You know, obviously, as soon as people start putting stuff into small plastic bottles, the, you know, the, the, the availability of small plastic bottles <laughs> drops through the floor, you know, and, and China does its best to keep up and all the rest of it. But, uh, you know, uh, that's the hardest bit, the supply chain. So I think so long as there is a demand for it and we can get hold of the bottles to put it in, uh, then we'll keep producing it. Yeah, why not? Um, because, uh, you know, the fatalists around here, um, well, not just around here, but everywhere, uh, continue to insist there's going to be a second wave. I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. Uh, and if so, we'll be ready to, 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 you know, up our production of hand sanitizer to meet that demand. It must have been, It must be really, just quickly, it just must be really... It must have been quite a nice thing to have, you know, in the brain of the sort of the security of knowing that, you know, you know that it, none of us want a second wave. But if there is one, then at least you know that there is something that you can go back on and there's something you can go to to, to help other people as well. 
Yeah, no, and, and as I said before, you know, we, we did approach very much and we have approached our hand sanitizer production very much along the lines of us doing our bit sure. um, as opposed to, you know, making money. Um, and and if, if there's a requirement for us to continue to make it, we'll keep making it. And, and uh, you know, God forbid we have to up the production because there is a, you know, there is a second wave. But if so, we stand ready to do that and, uh, you know, supply as we can. Well, it's it's amazing it's, it's it's an amazing story, and I, I know you said that it's um it, it's not particularly difficult in your eyes, but to 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 an idiot like me, that's going from a distillery to making hand sanitizer sounds sounds ridiculously far fetched. But it's it's amazing. Keep uh, keep doing it, and uh, pass on our good wishes to everyone uh, everyone back at uh, Portsmouth Distillery. I will do. Thank you very much. Yeah. Cheers, Thank Vince. You. Nice to speak to you. Cheers. Thanks for your time. Thanks. Bye bye. That's the director of Portsmouth Distillery, Vince, on the coronavirus special. Uh, let's move now to Terry. Evening, Terry. Good evening, Joe. How are you? Are you you've had a uh, you've had a busy busy few months, I hear. Tell us about what you've been up to. Well, uh, it all started with um, our daughter, who is a professional photographer and an author friend of hers, and uh, they're putting a book together, a tabletop book. Uh, with lots of photographs and stories of lockdown. And she said to Robbie, my wife, and me, why don't you tell your story of lockdown? I said, what do you mean? She says, well, your wine o'clock club story, (laughs) Um, which was uh, my wife's original idea anyway. Um, So it really started with with, um, a young... um, younger energetic neighbor earlier on this year saying wouldn't it be a good idea to have a street party on ve day well we agreed within the residents of the avenue uh, that we do that council permission was sought and plans were made and we had a go then of course the the horrid covid19 read its ugly head and a, a wonderful opportunity to celebrate a momentous event um, went down the tubes. However, we didn't give up, and the consensus amongst all of the neighbours was that we should go ahead with some sort of occasion. And this resulted in a socially distanced tea party in the avenue, starting late in the forenoon and extending into the evening, when, of course, alcoholic beverages were to be found. <laughs> and we had bunting and flags, it appeared overnight, and that, of course, set the tone for the day. And someone sometime, probably in the evening, said, well, this is lovely, meet, meet the neighbours' excuse. Why don't we make it a weekly event? <laughs> the Friday white evening wine o'clock club had been born and continues to this day. We meet every, every Friday, joining in the aperitif hour with friends in the road, meeting in the in the uh, forefront of the, the block of flats uh, where we live. And, and so this has been going on for a while and it still goes oh, on yes, every Friday. Every Friday evening we, we gather out there and uh, if, if it's wet weather, well, we have a wet weather routine where we socially distance in the, in the lobby of the block of flats and uh, carry on with the festivities. I suppose so. This is this, this is something that wouldn't have this wouldn't have necessarily happened, would there? If uh, if there hadn't been a global pandemic, this, this is one of the one of the nice things to come out of it. Absolutely, Robbie. Absolutely, yes. It was uh, 
a, a wonderful excuse to meet the neighbours, say, which normally one... I mean, we know most of the people in the flats, but we didn't know the people from the little cottages across the, across the other side of the avenue, and except to wave to them and say good morning. But now we're on, we're on uh, speaking terms and first name terms with them, which is good. Uh, um, we, we've heard so many cases of sort of the read. Well, we've heard so many times the term rediscovered sense of community. That this sounds like like absolutely that. Oh, it, it is ab- absolutely yes, and uh, of course, uh, Robbie, my wife, was one of the guiding stars behind it. So uh... <laughs> uh, there you go, and, and and it's turned into turned into this. Do you think that um, do you think that we're going to be more sociable for for this for sort of for for having to spend so much time away from people? We're just going to suddenly become more sociable than ever in the next few years. Yes, I, I think I I was. Um... I'm of a certain age, and I was a young lad during the Second World War, and I, I well remember the uh, neighbourly um, get-togethers get that we used to have then. Um, a community spirit developed uh, out of a common interest in, in defeating the foe, and I think this is a continuation of that, or a revival of it, if you might say. Mm. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I if I ask you a bit more about that because we we uh, feel free to just completely you know shoot this down and, and say absolute rubbish. But is there can you compare at all the the feeling that there is in in yourself at the moment to that feeling that you had that time before? Uh, well, during the war, yeah. yes, I'm going back one or two years, but uh, yes, I, I I think I can. Um, it, it's a regeneration of community spirit, uh, which was strong during the, during the Second World War, obviously because of a, a common interest in, in self-preservation and looking after your neighbors. Um, people who were, I, I wasn't actually bombed out, but I was evacuated during the war away from Bristol where I was living. And because of that, I, I, I knew a lot more about the people with whom I went to school and and um, neighbors as well must be must, must, what, what do you how you could, I suppose you can sort of remember how you felt when that all came to an end then so how do you think you're going to feel when this all comes to an end um, I, I think I'm going to feel the same sense of relief but I I also have a feeling Robbie that COVID-19 is not going away. I think it's going to be with us for, for years, the same way that flu is with us every year. And uh, I think the country and people are going to have to be extremely careful not to or to avoid another lockdown or what do they call it, spike in, 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 um, in, in the cases, virus that's yeah. happened so far. But will Wine O'Clock Club go on no matter what? Of course. <laughs> what are you going to do in the winter? <laughs> <laughs> well, we shall carry on in the lobby of the of the block of flats. I see. You got it. You got it all planned out, Terry. <laughs> oh yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, it's great. It's great to hear stories like this, and and so so good on you and and your wife uh, Robbie as well. Pass on uh, our best wishes and keep it going. We'll come. We'll come along sometime. We'll bring a bring a bottle of red. Good to chat to you, Terry. Thank you very much. It's been a great pleasure talking with you as well. 
Getting you home with Aqua Cars, the driving force in Portsmouth. Pre-book your stress-free journey home on our app, available in the App Store and Google Play. 22-7 on the coronavirus special. Going to be talking football before 7 o'clock this evening. But now, let's welcome back to the show someone that we had right at the start of lockdown, Tina Jacobs from Victory Hans. Tina, welcome back. Oh, thank you, Robbie. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's nice to have you back on. So we um, we, we spoke, I think it must be uh, probably about 10 weeks or so ago now, um, and we wanted to give you a call back and, and, and check in and see how things are. So, so how are things? Well, we've had a very busy time, as you can imagine. Um, before we start, we, we'd like to say a few thank yous, actually, to um, our amazing team of volunteers. Um, who've actually been the ones actually out there on the shop floor running the, the, the items around to everybody in the community. I've had the um, easy job of coordinating the project, as I see it, um, but the true heroes of the day are the ones who've been out there um, during the pandemic. Um, it's just been... The response to the project was absolutely overwhelming from the beginning, and um, we've been managing to supply uh, the free from uh items uh the gluten free and milk free and egg free products um later on during the project project um we we had a shout out from a family that uh, needed some um items for their son um for his um stoma care and again when we put the weave out there um through social media there was an overwhelming response um it just shows you what a community we really have in Portsmouth because everybody's just worked together and, and shared items and it, it's just been incredible, absolutely incredible. And, and, and just um, re- just remind us quickly, briefly, if you will, Tina, about how this how this came about because this this essentially was something that was started when lockdown began itself, wasn't it? Yeah, so our usual project is known as Victory Hunts. Um, we actually had our eighth birthday during the lockdown, the project, and uh, the project's all about um, inclusion. So what, from whatever walk we come from in life, it's about getting together and getting fitter and healthier, um, enjoying some educational opportunities, um, and, and just being spending time together and learning from one another about our differences, really. Um, playing lots of sport and various things together. Um, so just before lockdown struck, um, we had a participant um, who came to us who was finding it difficult to actually source them. Uh, it was a bag of pasta, believe it or not, just a simple bag of uh, wheat-free pasta. Mm. We just couldn't find any in the shops for her. And um, and then as as we started to sort of ask around within Victory Hunts if anybody had any they could share, um, people started saying, well, actually, I'm short of uh, gluten free flour or I can't get any uh, nut milk or, um, you know, we're just having struggles finding just plain, simple, free from biscuits. Um, So that's when the project was really born, quite, you know, unwittingly and just appeared, really. Um, So that was now back probably early in March. Mm. 
And, and, and well, I was, I was just going to say, how was it? Um, I, I suppose that was the time where you know the supermarkets remember when we had those horrible queues and you know horrible, horrible um, sort of times of, of people trying to rush and bulk buy in the supermarkets. I, I assume that with with people not doing that now, that is that's helped helped as well. It's eased off for us in the last couple of weeks. That's for sure. Yeah, because what happened? People started to bulk buy. And when the normal produce was gone, or the normal ranges, um, that the shoppers started hitting on the free from ranges, which then led to a short supply for the people that really needed the free from foods. For example, celiacs, um, who need uh, the gluten-free products for good health. They started getting an incredible short supply. Um, so... You know, it really did cause quite a problem for quite a while there. And um, it's certainly been the busiest few months of my life. I know that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it it just literally went from strength to strength. Um, we started to get referrals from um, the Queen Alexandra Hospital, people that have been in hospital who needed uh, a free-from diet and were struggling to source project, uh, products. And... Uh, there's, there's one instance that will never leave me is when we had a referral from the hospital, a lady was leaving who'd been ill with the virus and had been sent home. And literally she had nothing, no foodstuffs in her uh, house at all. Um, obviously the electric had run out while she'd been in hospital, so all of her freezer food was gone. Um, and so we, we took her a food parcel and uh, it's something that will always stick in my mind. The lady stood in a in doorway when we delivered the parcel. Um, obviously, we retracted before she opened the door for social distancing reasons. But uh, And she she had her hand on her heart. And she was just nearly to her knees saying thank you. And it's, it's just been a very humbling time, Robbie. A very humbling time. And... Um, she recently sent us a, a note which which said, thank you for helping me when I left the hospital just before the pandemic struck uh, and for leaving us groceries. And she said, I'm sure you've saved my life both physically and mentally. And, you know, to, to be able to do that for another person, you know, like I say, I volunteer every, you know, every breath of me says thank you to them for, for enabling things like this. Um, also, um, we're thankful to um, another lady. We, we had a young uh, lad who's three with autism, and he has a particular barbecue rice cake uh, with his meal every day. And mother had run out, and the child hadn't eaten for three days. Um, and the community, we put out a weave, and we was able to get 24 packets of rice cakes. We were sent a beautiful picture, actually, on our Facebook page, of this little child sat there surrounded by 24 packets of these rice cakes. It's things like that, you know. It's, um, it's been a very humbling time to think that a community can work together like this, you know. Just overwhelming. And it, I think everybody's had to dig deep. But thank goodness we're just coming out of this now. And uh, we met on Friday of last week for the first time with our um, participants uh, down at Victory Hunts, obviously, at the project that we've been running prior to the 
um, pandemic, and that we, you know, we will be continuing with some um, now. And, and how are they, Tina? How, how do they seem? Because you haven't seen them for so long, you know, in a sort of face to face. Absolutely. Well, everybody's done pretty, pretty well. Obviously, we did have some welfare calls. Um, that some people, you know, they they weren't too grand and and they were struggling uh, emotionally. Um, but nothing that we couldn't have a chat about, whether that's been on social media, on live uh, chats, or on the telephone, or even at a social distance at their front door, and said, "Look, you know, everything is going to be well. We're going to be fine, and uh, you know, we just have to hang on in there." But it was absolutely um, jubilant, is the way I can describe Friday to see um, so many people turn up. You know, we'd expected half a dozen, and you know, to be presented with such a, 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 a grand amount to have a game of football together was absolutely fantastic. Um, obviously, usually every year, we annually, I should say, hold an inclusion tournament in Portsmouth where we invite everybody to form teams, come together and, um, and you know, shut the thumbs up for diversity. That was due to take place in May. Sadly, that was cancelled, but... Now, you know, we've got new hope, and we're hoping by the end of the year that we can actually hold our inclusion tournament and that the friends, new friends we've made during the uh, pandemic through the uh, supermarket project um, will come and play uh, a game with us. Um, a lot of people, you know, we haven't actually seen their faces. We've only had messages or telephone calls. Mm. Um, and the items for... The uh, additional needs to market project have been left on people's doorsteps and then uh, we've asked them to retract inside and then a volunteer picks them up and, uh, you know, and then they're distributed to the beneficiaries. So a lot of these people we've never even met face to face before. And, you know, it's just an incredible thought that soon we'll all be able to meet and, yeah. you know, share the experiences together. And, and, how, and how would you... Just, just briefly, how how are you going to reflect on on the last few months when you when you finally it sounds like you you've been so busy, but when you finally get a chance to sit down and have a moment to yourself, how are you going to reflect on the last few months? Um, I think there's going to be a few tears because it has been the most enormously stressful time, um, not just with the project, but obviously you know kind of. I've got a family that I've had to run to and watching the emotions within my own family unit. Um, it's been incredibly tough. But yes, I am looking forward to a rest now. Um, hopefully in the next few weeks, as I say, we've got things rolling again at Victory Hunt. So I'll be hopefully hosting some groups. They will be outside at the moment. We're, we're not feeling confident yet to go back into a building and everything we're doing still is at the social distance. Um, even the game of football, we had to bend and adapt that to cater for the social distance and keep everybody safe. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to the rest now. It's just been incredible. It's it, overwhelmingly incredible and very humbling to see just what a community by pulling together can achieve. Yeah, and and you mentioned that that there'll be a few tears when you reflect on it. There's, we've spoken oh. to you twice, and 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 I've 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 nearly shedding a tear just speaking to you, Tina. You, I I, I want to say you are you and and everyone at Victory Hands. You are absolutely 
phenomenal beyond belief and there's so many people that are going to get so much credit because of what they've done in the last few months and and i hope that you are, are one of the people that gets the credit that you deserve because it's been so humbling Thank for God. us just to listen to you and listen to everything that you you have done and all of your colleagues have done and everyone has done at Victory Hands. So we, we just want to say a massive, massive thank you. It will never be enough, but a big, big thank you to you, Tina, because you're, you're so selfless and you've done so Lovely. much for so many other people. So thank you for that. And the same back to you and everybody Express FM for supporting us, Robbie. And hopefully you'll put in a team to the Inclusion Cup when we eventually announce the date. Don't you worry. We'll, we'll be there. We'll, we'll, we'll give it a go. Of course. It'd be amazing. Of course. Amazing. So just small-sided teams come together. Friends, family, neighbours, organisations. Uh, small-sided, friendly football competition. That's all the Inclusion Cup is. We'll be there. Um, but it's a, it's a great day, and I think it will cement the last few months of what's happened. It's, you know, we're really looking forward to that now, and everybody, all of our participants are so looking forward to obviously celebrating our birthday, the project's birthday, um, as we do every year. And obviously what they're all waiting for now is the Inclusion Cup, so we can all be together and come together and, and show just, you know, that we can all live, work and play together in Portsmouth. Of course, I'll get my, I'll get my goalie gloves that they're ready. Tina, it's always, uh, it's always uh, an absolute pleasure to chat to you and, and say hi to everyone back at Victory Hands, and we'll speak to you soon. Okay, it's lovely to speak to you, Robbie. Take, thank you. Take care, Tina. Bye for now. That's Tina Jacobs from the Additional Needs Supermarket and Victory Hans. What a what a brilliant human Tina Jacobs is. Really, really, really fantastic. Always to talk to her. A big thank you as always. Right, let's squeeze in some football before the end of the show. We were talking about it just then. Uh, let's squeeze in some Haven't and Waterlooville football, shall we say. They are back on Saturday, back in action, taking on Dartford in the National League South playoffs. Finally, non-league football returns. To talk about that, let's have Over the White Line host, our local sport expert and media manager at Haven and Waterlooville, Henry Deacon on. Evening, Henry. Evening, Robbie. You okay? Yeah, I'm good. We, we've spoken quite a lot on the coronavirus special um, about local sport and mainly it's been, you know, the lack of local sport. But um, we're, we're going to get, we've had Pompey back. We now have having a Waterlooville back. Yes, yes. So, um, playoff Saturday against Dartford in the National League South at Western Park as for COVID-19 behind closed doors. But it's, it's a magnificent opportunity for ourselves and an opportunity which we've created ourselves, A, by our league positioning in second, although we still do think that if we played on to a finish with Nick, uh, the title off of Wilson, but also the fact that the Promote 2 campaign, us and York came together yeah. quite closely, and we've got these playoffs on. So we've worked hard to get in it, now we've got to go and win it. Explain to us what um, what we're going to see see different then, and well, both in this week and also when it comes to Saturday itself. Of course, um, played behind closed doors. Uh, what what else is going to what else is going to be in place? Um, everything's kind of changed really. So to the point where you turn up, um, this is during the week. You turn up, have temperature check, uh, check when you when you come in. Got to fill out a health questionnaire um, you know, as much as possible. Social distancing's got to be enforced. Uh, obviously, it's close contact training now we've got to stage three, which means that our preparations can uh, move up to the standard that we want it to. Although you've still got those rules and regs in place, things got to be disinfected and, and what have you. Um, so they've got to be in place. And then when it comes to the state, it's a, it's a completely different environment. So 
I've got to turn up two hours before, though. Um, most of me will turn up an hour and a half before I'll be doing the uh, the commentary on them on BT. Uh, we turn up, face masks have got to be worn at all times. Obviously, people have got to sit two metres apart. There's different zones. There's red zones, amber zones, green zones. So the players and management there in the red zone, they go through one entrance. The media uh, and directors, they're in the amber zone. They go through separate entrances. So everyone's kind of cordoned off. Um, masks got to be worn at all times by everyone. That includes the manager. Uh, unless he's given instructions and, and, and us in the media, unless you're commentating or broadcasting. So that's going to be, be all very different. There's one-way systems all around all around the ground. So the preparation and everything like that, and I must say that it's been, I think there's 60 pages worth of documentation we've had to, to put in to get this game ahead. So to everyone at the club, fair play. And and there's we we've seen with um with other sort of professional sports starting to come back and we 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 weren't sure whether or not the standard was necessarily going to be as good as as we as we are used to seeing and um it's turned out that we're with things like you know the Premier League and and the cricket and and the golf as well it's it's generally been all right the standard do you think that you know at, at the level that Haven and Waterloo are at do you think it's going to be it's going to be the same or is it going to be more of a challenge for the sort of the lower league teams? I think it's a war of fitness. I genuinely do believe that. Um, I, I thought Slough and Dark for the first half of their quarterfinal on Saturday was very even um, in the first half. But you can just tell that Slough were, were the less fit of the two teams and, and Dark were really pounced on that and credit to them for doing it. And I think the same the same in the second game. I think out of the four teams, probably Dorking for me, Sean more than anyone, they were the fittest team. They got their advantage early. And I think that's the key... Uh, when you haven't played a lot of football, is if you can you can get your advantage early, whereas the other team perhaps are feeding their way into the game. And you look at the Premier League, there's not been many first half goals, and uh, mm. then I think that that that's a massive advantage for you. Well, uh, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating, isn't it? You must be buzzing. I'm, I'm excited, but I've got to say I'm I'm unbelievably nervous about it. <laughs> um, I mean, this is this is a massive moment for. For, for the football club, but it's kind of like a crossroads moment because the free G is coming in, everything else exciting is going mm. in. The setup is there now to be a, a National League club, as much, probably more so than it was two years ago when, when we were first promoted into the league. And I think that there's a bit about some of the players, you know, like Bogdan and that, that were there a few years ago, that there's, there's almost a redemption element as well um, because we went up then. I felt there possibly was a little bit left in the tank. But, um, look, it's, it's a massive few weeks of the football club. Um, promotions there to be had. And ultimately, we've, we've got a one-in-four chance. And we've got to take that with, with both hands. It's as simple as that. It'll be a build-up of nerves and, and excitement and, and release, I imagine, come Saturday, Henry. Um, listen, let's hope for let's hope for having them Waterlooville in the in both areas that that they can pull it off. And uh, and yeah, good, good, go well to them on Saturday, eh? Thanks, Robbie. Appreciate that as ever. A big thank you to all of my guests this week on the Coronavirus Special, of course. As always, if you want to get in touch with the show, get your story told, or have a question for any of our experts, just email me, robbie at expressfm.com. And the Coronavirus Special is back next Wednesday from 6 o'clock.